Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. Just want to encourage you to jump online and support the ministry of the BCC if you don't already. We do rely on donations from individuals like you, and clearly you benefit from our ministry. If you're listening to this podcast, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast, have our website, uh, host the different meetings we do and other things that we do to foster unity around biblical counseling if it wasn't for support from people like you. So jump online today and make sure you can give a gift or sign up to give a recurring gift. We really appreciate it. Today, the interview that I'm going to share with you is an interview I did with Dr. and Pastor Steve Viers. Many of you know Steve. He's even been a guest on this podcast a few different times. But this episode is really getting to know Steve. So we talk a lot about his upbringing, how he got into biblical counseling, lessons he's learned. It was really fascinating, the history of, of Steve's upbringing uh, and all the connections and relationships that he had all the way back to his childhood through today uh, that shaped and were very formative in his life and ministry. I hope that you're really encouraged and inspired by this interview, and thank you for joining us. Hope you join us next week as well. All right, Steve Viers, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you, Curtis. It's good to talk to you. So I know a lot of our audience members know you, know about your ministry, uh, but why don't you, for those who don't, catch them up on who you are, your family, and just where you are in ministry currently. Well, I serve as a senior pastor at Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. I've just finished 34 years of ministry there. Um, my wife, Chris, and I have been married for 39, so Lord willing, this summer we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary. We have three children, um, two of whom are adopted. Our oldest daughter, Bethany, and her husband live up in St. Paul, Minnesota with two of our grandsons. Then our first adopted daughter, Karis, and her husband, Austin, live here in Lafayette. And I'm Austin's a police officer. Karis works at Purdue in data management. Um, they attend faith here. Austin's a deacon, and uh, they're involved in ministry in all sorts of ways. They have two more um, of our grandsons, and um, Karis is also expecting, and Lord willing, in another month or two, we'll be giving birth to our first granddaughter. And so these are very, very good days for sure. And then we have our, our second adopted child, who is Andrew. Andrew is our son who has special needs. And so Andrew is blind and had just a number of development problems in his uh, brain as he was um, in his birth mother's womb, re- resulting in the fact that he functions at about an eight or nine-year-old level, even though we just celebrated his 29th uh, birthday. And so he lives with us. My wife essentially homeschools Andrew. And so that's what keeps her busy and then frees me up for ministry. And um, he's a great delight. We set up our home um, to try to care for him um, in our family as long as we possibly can. And um, so that brings with it its share of challenges, but also opportunities and privileges. And um, so that's our family. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Lots of, lots of congratulations and reasons to celebrate. So we'll be celebrating with you on that. Uh, so this podcast, we're taking time to get to know some of our council members, different leaders in the biblical counseling movement. Uh, so tell us what was life like for you growing up? Where did you grow up? What was your family like? 
I grew up in Gary and I was born in 1960. And so Gary, Indiana in 1960 was a very interesting place. There's a lot of racial tension, a lot of ethnic tension because it was a melting pot. Gary was um, the home of U.S. Steel, along with several other steel mills along the shores of Lake Michigan. And so many people were coming up from the South in order to find work. And um, it was just uh, a, a unusual grouping of people who otherwise would not have tried to live together. And um, so, by the way, that was the same year Michael Jackson was born. In fact, he and I were born in the same city the same year. And I mentioned that just because you can kind of get a convergence in your mind of all of these Southerners coming up to Gary for work, along with people of various ethnicities and just what that was like during the 1960s. That's how my grandfather got there. My grandparents were from Southwest Virginia. He had worked in coal mines and uh, gas fields in just a beautiful, beautiful part of the country, but a place where um, deep south and also that kind of work was very unpredictable. And so at age 40, um, while my dad was in the army at age 40, my grandpa and his wife, my grandma, and um, two of my aunts um, without a car uh, moved to Gary so that my grandfather could work midnights um, in one of the divisions of U.S. Steel. And then when my dad came back from the army, there's that's where his family now lived. And um, so it's just a fascinating place for sure. My that, That's why I still have. Um, interest in racial reconciliation, even to this day, because I grew up in the midst of busing, grew up in the midst of incredible racial tension. I watched all of that unfold as a child and early adult. Um, my mom was a, a solid believer in Christ. My father was not. And so I had an interesting um, upbringing where I saw uh, two very different ways to think about life. And in some ways, I'm thankful for that. I didn't just become a Christian because it was the natural thing to do. I I, um, I had the opportunity to see it from two different perspectives. My dad was a, a fine, moral man, and he actually wanted my mother to take me and my sisters to church, even though he had no interest in going. So that was a interesting dynamic for sure. The closest church to my house was Grace Baptist Church in Gary. And um, that church was pastored by Bill Good. And so those who know the history of the biblical counseling movement and Nank and ACDC would recognize him. Uh, Pastor Good left uh, that church when I was 13 years old and came down to Lafayette. Our um, has eventually crossed again, of course. Um, but I, I was a little boy in his church is the bottom line of that piece. I, so I was around the gospel. I was a very shy little guy. And so I had all sorts of questions about spiritual things and was too afraid to ask anybody. The church had hired a youth pastor, um, Ron Alchin, who's also a board member of ACBC and well-known counseling world. So I certainly had all sorts of opportunities to hear the gospel, but never really accepted Christ. And then um, when I was a senior in high school, um, some guys right around Christmas time were going on a, they call it a basketball jamboree. I didn't even know what that was, but one of their players um, uh, broke his ankle. And so at the last minute, they just needed a guy. And so I qualified. And um, so they threw me on the bus and I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee at Highland Park Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple University for this uh, basketball tournament. 
What I did not realize was that there was also um, a chapel part of it. And so yeah, I was more than happy to go. But, you know, the Lord is really working on my heart. The, the, and not that there was anything different about the preaching there compared to anything else I had heard, I don't think. It was just, it was just timing. It was all timing. And I was tired of living with the uncertainty of not knowing for sure if I was on my way to heaven and was concerned about all that. And so I, um, uh, I, I thought about going forward. They had public invitations during those days, but I, I was too shy. But I also didn't want to go home, having heard that many clear presentations of the gospel. So after the last um, service, they were kind of uh, putting everything uh, away, and we were supposed to be heading toward the bus. And I saw this guy, kind of a pastor-looking guy, up on the platform. And so I just went on the church platform and um, asked him if I could ask him a question or two. Sure enough, he sat me right down there on the platform. And so, you know, those are the days where you had big living room like chairs um, up on the pat on the platform where the pastors would sit. Sure enough, here I am with this fellow I didn't even know. But what I remember about that was um, his Bible was just dog eared. And every time I would ask him a question, he, he wouldn't answer it himself. He would just open to a passage of scripture, give me his Bible and let me read it. And um, the word of God was just burning in, in my heart every time he showed me something else and something else and something else. And so right there on the platform of that church, I trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. And um, I, I remember going back out to the bus with my friends and um, telling them what had happened. And I remember they cheered for me. It was quite a quite an experience for sure. That gentleman's name, by the way, is Ab Thomas. He was the youth pastor at Highland Park Baptist Church at the time. And I've told that story, my conversion story from time to time over the years. And, and one day I was I was telling it at our church here and um, a gentleman came up afterwards who knew Ab Thomas and um, they had worked together. And so he had just been traveling through Lafayette and stopped at a church and heard me tell that story and was shocked. And so um, it's just amazing how the Lord puts those kind of things together. Um not long after that, I was baptized at our church in Grace, and that's now my senior year of high school. Uh, my dad really wanted me to be an accountant, so the, the plan was to um, go off to Northwest University. I was also thinking about maybe being a dentist, um, so that was kind of my life trajectory was do something that made a lot of money was the whole point. And um, then um, I started thinking, you know, I wonder, I wonder if I could end up using my life the same way Ab Thomas did. But I possibly use my life to use the word of God to show people direction and answers. And, and so I, I, I mentioned that to the, the local church, the folks at Grace and Gary, and they affirmed that call. They actually allowed me to preach some sermons. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then they encouraged me to consider going off to Bible college. And um, I distinctly remember my, my father was a very good man, but he also I was his only son. And I distinctly remember telling him that I thought God wanted me to be a pastor. And he didn't respond in anger, but it was certainly in disappointment. And he said, well, you'd be a fool if you became a pastor. And then not long after that, I told him I, I wasn't planning on going to Northwestern University. I was planning on going to Baptist Bible College out in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, um, to study for the ministry. And then his words for that were... Um, uh, you'd be wasting your life. You only a fool would do that. And, and you're on your own. He, he said, I'm, I'm not going to spend my money on you going to Bible college. 
and that was a, it was good for me. I'm glad in the sovereignty of God that, um, I had to make some hard choices. Um, I knew I was disappointing my father. I didn't want to do that, but I also wanted to please my heavenly father and I had to do what I thought he wanted me to do. So I, I headed off for Bible college that fall and um, have been on that ministry trajectory ever since. And so I went to Baptist Bible college and then graduated there in four years. My wife, Chris and I were married. We went off to seminary at Grace Seminary and went on to Lake Indiana. And um, that's when I became acquainted with biblical counseling and then went out to, to Westminster to do my doctorate. As soon as we finished that, we came here to faith and worked for Pastor Good. And, and then he and I, eight years later, made a leadership transition. And I've served here as a senior pastor ever since. So there's a, there's a real sense in which I'm just living my dream. Um, that's what I wanted to do um, since I was a senior in high school and have been on a very tight rope of um, academics and then ministry ever since then. Um, tight rope meaning a very direct line to what it is that I'm doing today. And so I'm a very thankful person to essentially be living my dream. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. That is a, it is a fascinating story and not one that not one that a lot of people have, just that real clear, straight path. I'm going to go back a little bit because I'm curious. I know you and Bob Kellerman have known each other for a long time as kids. Uh, where was that? Were you guys at church, were at school? Like, and then what is it about Gary, Indiana that was the mecca or epicenter of biblical counseling? <laughs> well, um, yeah, Bob um, grew up about two miles from me, and um, so we knew each other as, as kids. And we ended up going to the same church. So Bob also attended um, Grace Baptist and Gary. Bob was one year older than me. Um, we went to the same Christian high school. We went to the same Bible college. We went to the same seminary. And um, and then eventually it got back together. He was um, uh, serving at Capitol uh Baptist Seminary out on the East Coast, and he had me come out and do some classes for him, and we were able to get reacquainted. And um, so Bob and I have known each other most of our adult lives. He's always been a marvelous person. I mean, even as a even as a, a young person in our youth group, he was very, very respected and appreciated. Bob has just always been a good, good guy, and um, so been a good friend over the years. But it's it's pretty amazing. Um, for all of these decades to have known each other and served in the biblical counseling movement together. It's a privilege. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, getting an interest in biblical counseling somewhere along the way, but I mean, when you think about your history, Bill Good, Ron Alchin, you know, he, he, I mean, he's got a multi-generation biblical counseling family now. And um, <clears throat> where uh, can you think of a particular time or event or something that made you think this is, this is an important aspect of ministry. I want to make sure I, I involve, you know, it's so central to what you do at faith. Um, how did that come about? Yeah. Well, you know, Jay's book, Competent to Counsel would have come out when I was 10 years old. And so I didn't read it. And, um, so, um, uh, but Pastor Good and Ron Alchin did. And, um, so did Bob Smith, who was a medical doctor, who was a close friend of, of, um, of Pastor Good, And so after Bob Smith, as a medical doctor, read that book, he contacted Jay and asked for just additional guidance. And Jay was at that time um, renovating a uh, 
a flour mill into a home in South Carolina. And Jay explained that to, to Doc Smith. He said, look, I'm really busy right now. And Doc Smith said, well, how about if I come down and help you on your house and you explain about biblical counseling while we're working together? And sure enough, see, this is, you know, long before that, I know young people listening to this, like, why didn't they send, he just send a text or why didn't he send him an email, right? I mean, this is long before all that. And so that's what Bob Smith did. He went down to South Carolina, he and Jay worked on the house and, and Bob was actually thinking about leaving uh, medicine in order to become a pastor and do biblical counsel. And um, Jay said, listen, don't do that. Um, we need a doctor in the biblical counseling movement. And he also said, my associate, this is Jay talking, he said, my associate, John Bettler, is in Chicago right now working on his D-Min at the University of Chicago. His words were, John Bettler knows everything about biblical counseling I know, so why don't you go get training from him? So Bob Smith as a medical doctor, Bill Good as a pastor, Ron Alton as a youth pastor, and a couple of other individuals started traveling to Chicago every week to receive biblical counseling training from John Butler, but the agreement was they had to start a counseling center because John Butler already knew even at that early stage, you, you can't just learn biblical counseling through books. You have to do it and you have to watch it being done. And so they started a biblical counseling center. Not long after that, that's when uh, Pastor Good moved down to Lafayette. And so they brought the counseling center after he had been here a couple of years to Lafayette. So again, I'm a kid. I don't know anything about any of that. Right. And um, however, um, when I was a student at Grace Seminary, um, so I'm married at this point, and um, there were some things going on at Grace Seminary and counseling that just uh, were not of interest to me and were kind of controversial on the, on the campus. But I did hear about this church two and a half hours away from Grace Seminary that had a biblical counseling training program. It turned out to be my friend, uh, Bill Good. And so I'm a seminary student, my first year of marriage, first year of school, and um, Grace Seminary gave us seminary credit if we would go down and take the counseling training program at Lafayette. We didn't have seminary classes on Monday. The training for biblical counseling in Lafayette was on Monday, so it was a perfect match. It was about a two and a half hour drive. So a group of us from seminary would get up real early in the morning. We'd be down to Lafayette by nine. We would have um, lectures in the morning. Then we would sit in on live counseling sessions in the afternoon and evening. And then we would drive back to seminary and get back about midnight. So it was a long day. But um, that's how I fell in love with biblical counseling. And um, in a couple of ways, the teaching was just, and I'm not saying it was totally unique, but it was at least from a timing perspective, exactly what I needed to hear to augment my Bible college and seminary training. I was also in my first year of marriage, and it was amazing how the things that I was hearing in those classes also applied to me as a husband. My, my, and the same was true when I would watch the live counseling sessions. I mean, the Holy Spirit can multitask. And so here I am as a passive observer watching a marriage case unfold. And the Holy Spirit's working on my heart, too. The, the Word of God was impacting me. My wife will tell you that I'd have to come home Monday after Monday after Monday at midnight and wake her up and ask her to forgive me for something. And um, it had a profound, sanctifying effect on me. And that's why I decided uh, I, after I finished seminary, I wanted to go to Westminster and do a D-Men in biblical counseling. Not that I would ever necessarily counsel anybody, but just for the sanctifying impact it would have on me. And um, I, so I just fell in love with biblical counseling. It was just such a natural part of my journey. And then when I finished up at 
Westminster, that's when Bill Good asked me to come back to Lafayette to serve as his associate with the plan of making an orderly leadership transition. And so I served as his associate for eight years. They were delightful years. Um, and then on one night, Pastor Good asked the church family to take two votes, one to make me the senior pastor of the church and the other to put him on my staff. So we literally traded places in one night, and that's almost exactly 26 years ago now. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, So I want to ask you too, Chris sounds like an amazing woman who put up with a lot with you in seminary and is super supportive and cares for your family well and and provides for you to do ministry. How how did you meet and then how did you convince her to marry you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I said, I I used to say in, in Bible college, um, I have two burning questions here. Is there a church on the face of God's earth that would hire me? And is there a woman on the face of God's earth that would marry me? And um, I wasn't thinking of them exactly in that order either, but um, I, I purely did wonder about that. And so so Chris is a couple of years older than me. She would, had gone to Baptist Bible College for a couple of years and was back home earning more money. And um she was the cousin of my college roommate my sophomore year. And so um, both uh, my roommate's fiance and Chris were living in Elkhart, Indiana. And so my roommate's fiance would want to come out to visit him at BBC. And so she would bring Chris with her. And of course, once my roommate's fiance got to campus, she didn't want to be with her cousin. She wanted to be with her boyfriend. That just provided a great opportunity for Chris and me to get to know each other. And it was kind of interesting. Our very first date, I'm a student at Baptist Bible College, but I was also serving at a little church up in Halstead, Pennsylvania, an hour north. And when she was coming to campus, I had already decided that Saturday that I was going to be going door to door, cold turkey visitation um, for this church just to try to build this church up. And so I said to her, Hey, I'm. I'm going to be going on just some cold turkey door-to-door visitation Saturday. I, I hear you're in town. Do you want to go? And so literally our, our first date was the two of us cold turkey door-to-door visitation on this crazy wild country road. But um, it kind of gave her an idea of what it was going to be like. And um, we dated then long distance for three years because she was back in Elkhart and I was a student at Baptist Bible but we wrote letters every day, literally. And, and I know some young people have trouble believing that, but this is before um, cell phone, before email. And long distance was very expensive, very expensive. We got to know each other via letter. And, um, and then we married after my uh, senior year of Bible college. And she immediately started working at Grace Seminary to put me through school and then helped work to put me through um my doctoral work, I had jobs as well. So that we were just focused on um, getting my education. And, um, but it's, it's been a ministry life ever since. And I am very thankful that she's, if she was not willing to provide the kind of care that she does for our son, Andrew, there's no way I could do what I do here. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that and pass along our gratitude to you for her uh, freeing you up to do that ministry, but also just being a good mom, good example and a good, good wife. Um, so <clears throat> what are, you said you weren't sure if you would ever counsel when you went in to do your DMIN, but I know you have, um, what's, what's one of the things that you find most challenging or hardest about 
counseling ministry? Well, you know, um, a number, we have a community-based counseling center here. And so a number of the people that come to see us don't yet know the Lord. And you're often operating on two totally different presuppositional bases, although we're very clear, you know, we're called faith biblical counseling ministry. So we're not hiding what it is that we're going to be doing. Um, we have folks sign a document that says, I understand that the counsel I'm about to receive is based on the counselor's interpretation of the Bible. And um, so we're, we're not hiding it. That's not why there's a presuppositional disconnect. But with so many of the people that we're working with from the community, they just have no no prior knowledge of scripture at all. And so you feel like you're talking two different languages. And on the one hand, I, I don't, I don't ever want to force the gospel on anybody. I don't want to encourage them to make a decision that they don't really understand. In fact, that's actually one of the reasons I like doing evangelism in counseling, because generally speaking, you're going weeks and weeks and weeks of explaining the gospel before a person is ready to make a decision. And so that's probably probably the challenge um, is uh, how how can we help someone come to an understanding and a belief in um, God Himself, in the truth of His uh, of His revelation, and then in um, an understanding of the gospel to the point that they're ready to make a credible profession of faith. So what, on the flip side, kind of what keeps you going in ministry? What, what excites you, gives you joy in counseling? Well, and that's, you know, that's part of it. I just, I mean, from the very office I'm sitting in right now, I had worked with a gentleman for eight or 10 weeks, and I really wondered. Um, and then just a couple of weeks ago, he came in and said, hey, I'm ready to decide to trust Christ. Can we do it now? And it's not like I had some you know, magical formula or whatever. It was just the, the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart and life. But it was, it was a relief to me. I love this man. And I mean that sincerely. And I, he knows that. And I, I was concerned about his eternal destiny. And um, so it was such a delight, such a relief um, when, when he came to know the Lord. And so anytime I have the opportunity to lead someone to Christ in counseling or in ministry, that's, you know, because it, it circles all the way back. I have eternal gratitude for Ab Thomas and what he did for me. Um, and if I can be used by God, and it's all to God's glory, but, but if I can ever be used in a similar way for someone else to help them come to the place that they know that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven, um, I, I can't think of a better way to use my time, a better way to invest my life. And um it's also just marvelous when you have the privilege of seeing even people who know the Lord that you're working with um, turn a corner in counseling and um, get something behind them. And, and and again, you're just wanting to be their spiritual friend. Um, that's what, one thing I like about there's no money changing hands. It's not like somebody's thinking, well, he's just here because he's getting something from me. So they know you're here because you love them and you're really on their side spiritually and, um, you know, when you do it at the same place for 34 years, you can hardly go anywhere without running into somebody that you have the opportunity <laughs> to counsel. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you make a lot of friends. Yeah. You make a lot of friends. And um, uh, I'm very, very thankful for that. 
Thank, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And that's a great, I love that testimony too of longevity and just church-based care and seeing in the community as well, reaching out to the community. Uh, if you don't mind, what what's maybe one mistake that you've made in counseling without obviously no violating confidentiality? And uh, what, what did you learn from that? Well, I think that um, trying to adjudicate abuse cases, trying to adjudicate role of the husband, role of the wife cases, you know, we all come out of our own social understanding and social context, and you're trying to faithfully apply the word of God, and you're trying even to understand it. And, you know, I did not live in a home where there was any kind of abuse. And so even though my dad was not a believer, he was a kind, moral, loving man. And, you know, I I certainly now think back on earlier cases and, you know, I I sure could have been more there. I could have been kinder there. I could have been more understanding there. And I'm always amazed when somebody says to me, you know, I don't have any regrets. And, um, my answer to that is, well, would you like me to share some of mine? And um, and so that, that's why I've also just become convinced, Curtis, that um, it, it's up to the Holy Spirit. And so if I had to have everything figured out before God could use me, um, the Lord would be waiting a long time. And so, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that flippantly. I believe in education. I believe in giving our very, very best. I believe in studying and all of that. But on the one hand, if anything goes well, um, I'm, uh, I'm certainly not going to take any credit for that. And if anything goes badly, I'm going to try to learn everything that I can, but I also believe the Holy Spirit can overcome weaknesses in ministry if my heart was truly trying to serve him well. Yeah. And even if it wasn't, right? I mean, Joseph's brothers intended well their actions for evil and God still use it for good. That's a good that's an encouraging word because so many I know so many students who even have master's degrees or graduates who have master's degrees in counseling and they're so afraid to counsel. Uh they don't feel equipped, competent, whatever. And it's such an important reminder that it's not, yes, you're going to make mistakes, um, but it's the spirit who does the work. And it's ultimately our confidence needs to be in him, not our skills, our training, etc. Of course, like you said, not that we just flippantly go into caring for people's souls, but yeah, where does our true trust lie? Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Any, any one piece of advice, specific piece of advice you'd like to share with our audience in addition to all the great stuff you've already shared? Well, there's actually two things that come to mind. Um, I I do think everything that you can study, everything that you can learn, that's that's one of the beauties about biblical counseling, concern to being a a secularist or an integrationist. You know, since the world is ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, the challenge with being a secular counselor or being an integrationist is you're just constantly retooling. Um, the, the world's hot about a particular issue for a while, and then you're an expert in that, and then you're out of business the next. Whereas for biblical counselors, you know, study as much theology, as much biblical truth as you possibly can, because the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it abides forever. And so um, learn as much as you can love. It. It's funny that you just mentioned um, Genesis 50. That's part of what my personal devotions were in this morning. And I just love the word of God. And even at my age, in fact, 
I, I delight in my personal time in the word of God more than ever before. And um, so that would be one piece. And um, then also there is great value in, in counseling along with somebody else, either as other trainees or a team counselor. And that goes back to the whole fear of counseling issue. Well, if you have others in the room with you, um, they can help you see a blind spot. They can help you just with accountability. And, and I think it also um, provides confidence and courage for the counselor and perhaps even the counselee that we're bringing multiple people into this to be sure that we're doing this well. Yeah. Amen. And it's a great testimony to, to the body of Christ. Uh, it's not the counselor or a pastor, any particular person that will solve all your problems. <laughs> it's, it's Jesus and his love through his body um, that we need. So, well, thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being with us on 1514. Well, Curtis, thank you very much for your ministry. And I wish you and your listeners the very best. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.